Amen. Well, the uh, U.S. seed company Burpee, I don't know if you know the name Burpee, if you uh, are a gardener, you know the name Burpee. They sold more seed in March than in any time of their 144-year history as a company. Home gardening is experiencing a boom. Landscaping company orders to install gardens for people are off the charts and and even i get texts from the least likely people even last night not in light of this sermon but even last night regarding raised beds and the idea of raised beds and what to put into raised beds and how to make raised beds lauren and i uh this past week went to uh, one of the largest uh garden centers that we go to out in lancaster county and we happened to look over at the place where they, they have all of their vegetables, that's rows and rows and aisles and aisles. And they were down to just little seedlings of tomatoes. When you actually, when you go there early in the year, can't imagine that they would ever run out of the amount of tomatoes that they have, but that's all they have left. People are gardening and they're, they're getting up all the plants that they can find. And it's not hard to understand why, right? I mean, the reality is all of us have got uh, more time available and particularly We've got time available at home. And while none of us have these huge lots where we're going to be able necessarily to sustain ourselves, nevertheless, you do a little bit of gardening and you get a personal food source, right? Maybe just a few, but you've got something available that's untouched by anybody else except for you. And of course, if you plant flowers, in addition to whatever fruit you get, you might get a little bit of beauty around you as well. And so I suppose it is safe to say that if you are one of those who has uh, been bitten by the gardening bug in particular uh, this year, if, if you've taken the time to purchase some seeds or perhaps uh, you've, you've purchased the young plants and you've gone through the work of preparing a particular place in your yard, whether you just took a place in your yard or whether you made a raised bed uh, and, and you planted your seeds or you planted your plants and you've watered them, it's clear then that you would like those plants to bear fruit, right? What, whatever that might be. Uh, if, if it's food, if they're vegetables, you want them to bear those vegetables. And if it's flowers, then you want to, them to bloom and you want to enjoy the color. And so, so it is with God. We are planted. Uh, or at least, you know, if we, if, if we want to be more accurate, perhaps to this particular uh, passage in John 15, we're at least grafted in. And, and, and when God comes and look at, looks at us, he, he tends us and he checks us just in the same way that you'll do if you're not a gardener. But if you've planted something, you will do this with your plants. You will go out and you will check them and you will lovingly look for them, look at them and figure out anything you can possibly do for them so that they produce, so that they bear fruit. And you do it with love and God, the gardener, the vine dresser. God does the same with us, kind of checking us, looking around at us. Is there any fruit that is being born? Now, of course, it's fruit according to its kind right? That's the way the world was created. That's the way plants are created. And people, uh, while we have lots of things in common, uh, people are a little bit different. And so God looks for the fruit that should be coming from us, but fruit nonetheless, fruit to be sure, because what this passage tells us is that uh, the proof is in the pudding. 
or according to verse eight, the fruit is in the fruit, right? Uh, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples, which yields then this question, uh, how fruity are you? How fruitful are you? How productive are you? Last week we noted this, this abiding into which we have been called is a rich, energetic, vital, productive, joyful, communal garden. And, and, and about that garden, there's not pessimism. There's not, oh, it'll never work. There's, there's a hopeful expectancy about this garden. The expectancy, of course, is fruitfulness. And the expectancy is made clear by Jesus. I chose you and I appointed you that you should bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. Verse 16 of this passage. Now, that might be particularly for the apostles, that they should bear fruit that should remain. Fair enough. But as we've seen, a lot of things that apply directly to them then also apply to us as well. So how fruitful are we? Now, perhaps there's another question that's worth asking uh, when we're in John 15, we find ourselves there, or when we're in any of the many other places in scripture that speak of this call to bear fruit. And that is, okay, okay, if I'm supposed to bear it, what is the fruit that I'm supposed to be bearing? Well, there are various ways of understanding the fruit in this passage and in others. Uh, some people point to a Christ-like, godly character, a Christian character that is developed through faith and repentance, a holiness that comes, and I would say yay and amen to that definition of fruit. Others will point to uh, people coming to know the Lord, to conversions, to winning people to Christ, and I would say yay and amen to that definition of fruit. Uh, others might focus, particularly as I said just a moment ago in verse 16, on the apostles and this being spoken to them, and, and the fruit is the establishment of the church and the abiding, the remaining of the church. So in that sense, uh, we would be the fruit. They would hardly have the ability to believe that 2,000 years later in a language they, they couldn't understand halfway around the world, we would be building ourselves on the apostolic faith that has been passed down to us. We are the fruit, and I would say yay and amen to that. And I would say one other thing that clearly in this passage, Jesus is instructing us once again in love. Love is the fruit, right? So that I'm commanding you these things so that you will love one another. So I, I think we can say yes and amen to all of those things. Uh, Leon Mars puts it well, fruit is everything that results from our vital union with Christ. And, and that union, of course, is Christ's abiding in us through his spirit and our abiding in him. Calvin uh, himself keeps it simple by basically saying that the fruit is that which is good. Everything that is good, that's the fruit. Everything that flows from us because Jesus himself is the vital sap that is coursing through our stems and, and uh, both the Heidelberg Catechism that we read earlier, as well as the Westminster Confession of Faith, seem to confirm this general definition of fruit as that which is good. Heidelberg, we read, says we do good so that we may be assured of our faith by its fruits and so that by our godly living, our neighbors may be won over to Christ. And the Westminster Confession 
in the chapter on good works talks about good works as the fruit and evidences of a true and lively faith as it speaks of fruit unto holiness. So very simply then, fruit is all that flows from union with Christ. Fruit is all that is good that comes forth from our lives. And fruit is all that is love or contributes to love. That's what the gardener is doing. That's what the gardener is searching for with the plants that he has grafted in or planted in his garden. That's how Jesus glorifies his father. Jesus glorifies his father when his brothers and sisters produce fruit by the power of the spirit whom he has sent out to dwell and minister his presence. He glorifies God the father by bearing fruit through us. And this is essentially exactly what Paul says in the Ephesians 2 passage. That's Pauline language. This is Jesus, John language. Here, Pauline language is you were created in Christ Jesus. Okay, that's the abiding. You were created in Christ Jesus for good works. And that's the way Paul says it. So then back to the original question. How is your bearing? How is your production? How is our production as a church? Do we see in our lives individually? Do we see in our families? Do we see in our church increase, yield, harvest? A uh, few things, few things are more delightful for me than when Lauren, at this time of the year, and then all the way through the course of the summer, when Lauren comes in from having been in the garden and brings in a harvest. Now, we live in a little place like you, and harvest isn't like farm harvest, but nevertheless, it's a harvest. It's, it's some asparagus that are uh, out right now. It's the lettuce that was planted uh, back in March. It's the chives that are coming out right now. It's a harvest, and it is so joyful to see it come in. Would, would you just think for me for a moment of another biblical picture that comes to my mind as I think about this? Think of Ruth going out to glean. Now, she's going out to glean in the fields, having arrived in Bethlehem with very little hope because gleaning wasn't like having your own farm. It was like picking up the scraps. And so what she's hoping is to eke out some meager subsistence living by going out to glean to pick up the leftovers from the fields. And she returns home with her arms absolutely loaded with food, with produce, with harvest. And Naomi looks at her and goes, where have you been? Where did you get this? And of course, as the story goes, she says, well, I, I was in the field of Boaz. And, and Naomi says, ah, Boaz, right, a, a fruitful field from a fruitful, good, worthy man. You are a worthy woman. You have come into this field. And there was no way Boaz was letting her go home empty-handed. There was no way she wasn't going to have fruit being associated with this fruitful man. So how is your fruitfulness? Are you producing good? Are you producing love with even enough left over so that the rest of us can come and glean in your field? 
I know some of the small groups are uh, discussing the sermons right now, and perhaps, forgive me, a fruitful area for discussion or, or a topic that you might discuss, are what kind of things have you noticed in your own life? And you can go to scripture as well, but your own life, what kind of things promote fruitfulness in your life? And what kind of things have you experienced that hinder, that thwart the development of fruit in your life? Uh, you could uh, think of it in terms of Psalm 1. And Psalm 1 is a passage that comes to mind that might help us to uh, uncover some of those elements. Uh, Jesus here speaks of the way the Father, as the vine dresser, does things to promote fruitfulness. Uh, I'm not preaching on verse 2, the pruning, because actually I preached on that particular verse back in uh, February. But nevertheless, God does things that contribute to fruitfulness, and, and and so we have a call as well. Boaz did much for Ruth. Ruth still had to glean in the field, though, and pick it up. So if you pursue that discussion, I think it would be good as long as you keep in mind our reflections, uh, our, our conclusions from last week's sermon, namely, that our primary call, if we are to be fruit-bearing, is actually to abide, to abide in Christ himself, to stay connected to Christ, and then the fruit comes. So keep that in mind if you explore this. Now, as, as we can see by looking at this passage, there's, there's much that is on the line with respect to fruit-bearing. It is expected. It is intended part of the intention of god in christ it's it's unto the glory of god it, it proves discipleship and it has all sorts of well i haven't gone into them in any kind of uh depth this morning all kind of attendant warnings that are associated with it and personally i am tempted to look at this passage and to find it uh, terrifying to find it to be for me an absolutely terrible burden because if i'm honest, I, I look at my own life and I often find myself to be, in my own opinion, incredibly fruitless. This passage has the danger of terrifying me and of crushing me, and it would, except for, except for two things. And when I say two things, I only am restricting it to two things. And, and these two things for us this morning as we close, I want to draw from Psalm 80. We can draw these exact same things from uh, John 15, but just to hear it in a little bit of a different voice, I want to draw it for, from Psalm 84. So why am I not terrified? First of all, from Psalm 80, because of verses 15 through and 17. Uh, it, have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. And then verse 17, but let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Now, now Israel was called a son, right? They were God's firstborn son. Kings were called son, but, but there's kind of a shadowy expectation here of something grander, something more stable, something that will be able to bear the hand of God, the face of God, and be productive in the midst of that garden. It was shadowy back in Psalm 80, 
years before Christ ever came. But now, as these men are here, they are beholding this shadowy form of someone in the garden having taken shape. The new and ancient son has come. And he is either in, as he's speaking, John 15, or on the way to a garden, right? He, he's heading towards the Garden of Gethsemane, where his tears will drip into the ground. And from the Garden of Gethsemane, he will head to a cursed tree, where he will be spread out upon that tree. And as he dies upon that tree, he will become the seed that is taken down from the tree, buried into the earth. And he will raise and become not the cursed tree, but once again, the tree of life that bears fruit in all its seasons. Jesus is the resurrected one, the life-giving tree. And he, on Calvary, on that tree, he bore my failure to produce fruit. And in his resurrection is the promise to bear fruit in my life. And therefore I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid anymore of that. Secondly, from Psalm 80, what brackets and what we read, what brackets the section about the vine in Psalm 80 is the refrain from the Psalm, the chorus, verses seven and 19. Restore us, O God of hosts, let your face shine that we may be saved. The shining face of God is what brightens the garden. It is the sun that shines on that garden. It is the hope of the ironic benediction. And, and, and Israel themselves would have to imagine. What, it, it's not, they can get it. They understand, conceptually speaking, what the shining face of God would be like, what the smiling face of God would be like. But the disciples no longer have to imagine because there he is standing right in front of them. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In whose eyes we have found favor. Just like Ruth had found favor in Boaz's eyes. In his eyes, we have found favor. And in him, therefore, all of the promises of God, all of the commands of God are yes and amen unto the glory of God. Despite me, he's going to bear fruit in and through my life. How can fruit fail to come when the son of righteousness shines upon it with his face. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Go out and if you'd like to plant a garden, go enjoy the bounty of God's creation. But more significantly, dig in to Jesus himself. And having dug into Jesus, hear the command, that was here and it was very first given to us, be fruitful. Lord, we pray.